Good evening, everyone. Let's get started. Yes, sounds awful. Sounds awful, says Jen. It's spotty. It's spotty, says Jen, who is not on mute, I think. Oh, no, yes, she... Yeah? Spotty? Hello? <laughs> see, I was, I was waiting to see if it was going to even out a bit, but it was a I'm, little in and out. I mean, I hear you fine. You not okay, hear me fine? fine no, I hear you fine now, so I think we might be okay. Okay, so it was just, it just screwed up the theme music, that's all. That's all <laughs> it did. Oh, oh well, oh well. You know, the deficiencies of the, uh... <laughs> what are you gonna do? It's live, it's a live show, things go wrong. I, I love that, I love that we've developed our own sign language so that I can, like, tell you things without actually having to like say them like yes. like because i for those of you who don't know we do this on cam we can see each other so you can see me like gesticulating towards my ear and kind of doing the <laughs> thing. we become uh, we become silent uh, silent film uh, characters you know <laughs> jen like puts her hands on her hips and goes does like a comical <laughs> frown <laughs> There's like piano music playing. She's mad. <laughs> anyway, it's Wednesday night and we're all crossed out. And um, yes, uh, yeah, uh, trying to deal with like uh, last minute fires, you know. The music uh, it, it screws up. One of us gets a medical emergency mere minutes before the uh, <laughs> the show goes live, and we got to do a whole scramble. Anyway, <laughs> welcome back to All Crossed Out, um, the show where sometimes we need to just go lie down before we do this. That, yeah, exactly. It's the, the excitement is so the anticipation. We're so giddy that we we get lightheaded sometimes, um, and. Uh, uh, you know, in true disaster fashion, we're also just going to kind of fucking wing it tonight <laughs> instead <laughs> of being mega prepared because, you know, we came with some takes. Although, although I got to say, uh, I got to say thank you to Amazon for uh, providing us with some late uh, for late game content for today's episode by doing the thing. They did the thing. Uh, Middle Earth stands in solidarity with our BIPOC. Uh, oh, I mean, that's God. not what they. Did that's they? not how they. That's not how they phrased it. But <laughs> they might as well have. They might as well have. They did a. They did a statement. They did a statement about the controversy. Uh, I will read you the statement. It's a very dramatically. It also looks very dramatic. <laughs> Should, should we explain the controversy for everybody well, who missed I mean, the last 
Well, admissions well, cost of attempt. Well, also, and also, you know, who isn't on the internet? You know, like people, the rings of power, Amazon's new show, the most expensive show ever made. It's the prequel to Lord of the Rings. A um, lot of controversy over its diverse casting. There are uh, uh, black actors who are cast in it over its uh, canonical changes, over any kind of potential, like, the feminism or wokeness that is being pushed in its narratives, whatever, whatever you think about it or not, it's a fight that's going on, right? Um, and uh, and Amazon did the thing that I hate that companies do when a thing like this happens. They put out a statement, right? And the statement says the tweet says it's from the it's from the the L O T R on Prime account. It's weird that it's that's the account, by the way. It's not called the Rings of Power on Prime. It's called the Lord of the Rings on Prime for whatever for whatever reason. For whatever reason, he says, knowing exactly why. Um, anyway, the tweet says, we stand in solidarity with our cast with the hashtag, you are all welcome here, right? And what follows is three, <laughs> three screen caps. But each of them is like small. It's like a small paragraph in the middle of like a big white image. And so the first one says, we, the cat, we, the cast of the rings of power stand together in absolute solidarity. And we need music. Do, 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 do. I need to find here. Hold on a second. Hold no, on a need, second. You need like epic rings of power music. Uh, yeah, I do. We do. Basic music. We do need some. Yes, we do need. That's exactly what we need. Hold on. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> we, the cast of the rings of power, stand together in absolute solidarity and against the relentless racism, threats, harassment, and abuse some of our castmates of color are being subjected to on a daily basis. We refuse to ignore it or tolerate it. <laughs> J.R.R. Tolkien created a world which, by definition, is multicultural. A world in which free peoples from different races and cultures join together in fellowship to defeat the forces of evil. Rings of power reflect that. Our world has never been all white. Fantasy has never been all white. Middle Earth is not all white. Take it from me, Gandalf the White. <laughs> BIPOC belong in Middle Earth and they are here to stay. This is so cringe. The statement is so cringe. It's more cringe than me doing a cringe voice and reading it over <laughs> Lord of the Rings music. Anyway, this continues. Finally, all our love and fellowship go out to the fans supporting us, especially fans of color who are themselves being attacked simply for existing in this fandom. We see you, your bravery, and endless creativity. Your cosplays, fan cams, 
<laughs> you never want to hear. You what? never want to hear a a fantasy guy, a wizard uh, say the word you. fan cams. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Your rule thirty four fan art on deviant art. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I love all of that. <laughs> you love a good. Eyes. <laughs> <laughs> No. <laughs> <laughs> My latest line of Isengard sex toys. Oh my god. <laughs> the two towers indeed. <laughs> I hear they're doing wild things with the black characters in yes. the I'd like to I'd like to explore your minds of Moria. <laughs> <laughs> as, as the music swells. Okay, no, no, I'm not even gonna. I, I, I'm I can't. Not I can't. Okay, I got. I can't. We can't. Anyway, the the statement continues in that vein for a couple more sentences, but like, <laughs> you get it. And then also, like, the Star Wars account responded with like a. Similar statement, and it's just like, can you guys stop? What? No, nobody has to do Star Wars. What are you doing here? Yeah, exactly. Get out of here, Star Wars. <laughs> Who's gonna show up next? Arby's. <laughs> I know. I hate count. brands. I know. And again, we we need to make this clear, right? Obviously, like the content of the message, right? Stop being a racist schmuck. It's fine for everybody to enjoy this thing, and who ca who cares? Whatever. Like that's fine. That's fine. But like, why? Why does it have to be like that? Why does it have to, you know, I, I the joke, because here's the joke, I'll let you in on the joke. You know, I read this dramatically with like a fucking fake wizard voice with fucking Lord of the Rings music. But the truth is, that's how it comes across. It does, it ends, they sign off with like a word in Quenya. I don't fucking know Quenya, which is the elvish language, Namarie or whatever is the way they sign off with, which is, I guess, the elvish word for... Go fuck yourself for something uh, like that. Yeah. Namaste. <laughs> yeah, no, whatever. <laughs> but like, it's so, it's like, it just comes across like it's so pompous, you know, like, oh, BIPOC have a place on Middle Earth. It's a fucking imaginary place. What do you mean indigenous people? Indigenous to where? Uh, Mordor? Like, this is all literally made up. These are made up people. These are made up races. And, and like I said on the main pod, like, I don't care that it's a black elf. I don't care that it's a black harfoot. Excuse me. They're not hobbits yet. They're harfoots. Yes. But well, they're also not care. in the Shire. The, there's a thing right. that hasn't been yet uh, said explicitly, but it's kind of clear if you're paying attention. Which is that uh, the, the a lot of what you're seeing takes place around the place that then becomes Mordor. It's not Mordor yet. I think the village where the cow had the fucking sludge instead of milk. I think that area is now like slowly becoming Mordor. And something that I saw online that was kind of bizarre to me is people questioning like, who was it that fell from the sky? I'm like. 
it's Sauron. Who the fuck else would be falling no, from the sky? Well, no, but I just so, oh, there's all kinds of okay. So we're gonna get to that in a second. Let's <laughs> let's save the unimportant discussion of the actual content of the show <laughs> until after we're done discussing the really important thing, which is people fighting about black actors on the show. And actually, I, like, and again, we got to preface this by saying I actually was a big defender of this. I think I understand in some instances why people are like, it's so dumb that you, cause like, for example, uh, there was, I don't know if this is still in development or whatnot. There were like, they're going to make up a, a Superman, but Superman's black. Right. And so a bunch of like DC fans were black. were like, there already is a Superman who's black. He's not the Superman. He's a different, do a movie about him. Like, don't just take Superman and make him black. There was already a, from its inception, black. I can't remember his name, obviously, cause I'm, racist but uh but that's what is it my fault it's 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 my fault that dc doesn't highlight the actual black superman guy and instead want to take superman and make him into a that's dumb here what they're doing is like you know big diverse cast there's going to be lots of characters it's also meant to show you a very different time how are you supposed to i think we discussed this before how are you supposed to show that this is thousands of years before Lord of the Rings, right? How are you supposed to do that? If you show, if you want to make a show that's thousands of years ago in our world, very easy, right? You just go film in the desert or the jungle or something like that, right? Like there's very easy uh, visual and uh, like identifying markers between time periods on Earth. But if you have a world that's been medieval knights sources is uh what they called swords and sorcery for like ten thousand straight years how the fuck do you distinguish between the second age and the third age right so you know designs there's a couple of ways they've been doing this right you know right it's it, it feels more like a higher era kind of like the star wars prequels right mm -hmm. everything is kind of grander the, everything is newer you know there's a lot less is like in ruin um and yeah, like the elves are more dominant where in the third age, the men are more dominant or whatever. But why not take something like kind of ra racial makeup that is different as a signifier? I said this jokingly, but it's also sort of semi-serious. If you made a show set in the in North America a thousand years ago, there would be nobody white. And now most of the people here are white. Right. And so especially as it pertains to like a continent, because Middle Earth is not the only continent in that world, as the rings of power actually shows, they show them selling, sailing to Middle Earth. You could just say, yeah, there were like proto hobbits, like we have Indo-Europeans and all kinds of like a proto ethnic groups and that they don't exist anymore. You know, thousands of years after that, it's not it's not that big of a fucking stretch. I don't get it. No. And while I kind of, I, I don't, I won't say I slammed it on the main pod, but I, I pointed out that like, okay, when you're talking about Tolkien and you talk about like anything like Lord of the Rings, Lord of the Rings, or especially like Rings of Power, like there's this whole exposition that goes into leading into what we're going into. And so there's a whole explanation like, Oh, the elves, they were in Valinor. And then, and then the, the tree of light died and then they went to Middle Earth and it was going to be easy. And then it wasn't easy because there's there's no such thing as like a 20 minute quick in and out adventure. <laughs> but I mean, I don't. I, it, here's the thing. It's like it's not 
that like okay so so we have a black elf we have black harfoots it's not a black elf it's an elf that is black it's not a black harfoot it's a harfoot that is black it, it's not consequential to the character at all what their melanin level is now let me interject just for one small second because the one criticism i saw i think we said this on the pod too i saw somebody say great cool you want to cast a black actor as an elf awesome but why does it have to be the one guy who like suffers that racism scene in the bar where some guys like your best best to move on you're kind of welcome here, you know? And it was like, because it didn't have to be the black actor. And I was like, yeah, I guess I get, I guess I get what they mean. But it's literally like that is not about him being black. It's about him being an elf. It's Correct. about the elves being there under the circumstances that they are there. Correct. And men not appreciate it, not have anything to do with his melanin level. They just don't like elves being there, being like their watch people. I mean, you're right. And also the, the human woman that he's kind of involved with isn't exactly fucking, you know, like uh, uh, Eastern European looking either, right? Like I said, everybody looks a little more racially ambiguous. Uh, again, thousands of years prior I, I may you know what maybe the gripe should be about that's how that specific scene was like staged because it was a kind of a cliche people are in the bar and the person is in the bar you know one of those kinds of scenarios uh the the bigger issue i think uh with rings of power it, it's it's really great that uh house of the dragon is also out coming out now because it actually crystallizes i think the big problem that uh rings of power has which is is this you're talking about uh, things that are very disconnected from the human experience, Cre beings that live forever, uh, you know, wars that wrecked entire continents and sunk them under the water and, you know, you know, tens of thousands of ships and all kinds of shit like that. Right. And so, like, by definition, like you're there is a disconnect there. You know, when the when the elf says, I've been stationed here for 79 years, motherfucker's been on guard duty for 80 years. I used to get four hours of guard duty and I would like cry, <laughs> silently cry like I'm going to die of boredom in that guard tower for four hours. That guy's been doing it for 80 years, right? How do you connect with it? But how do you connect with a character like that? They also have to change some of the stuff because like in the prequels and all the like Silmarillion and stuff. Yeah. Like an elf, you know, goes through like hundreds of humans in their lifetime. They're kind of like disposable, like they're like leave blowing in the wind. Yeah. And you see this a lot in like vampire lore and stuff too. Like they fall in love with a human and then the human dies. Cause clearly like they're mortal and you're not. And so, and that's kind of addressed in rings of power too. Cause one of his elf buddies is, kind of caught on that he's got a thing for this 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 I, man girl i mean earth girl i don't know exactly what a daughter of man although that's not correct either anyway a mortal woman yes and he's basically like um you know this traditionally speaking doesn't work out too well between elves and mortals right like you know this is um yeah you're you're really asking for a world of hurt here dude because she's going to die and you're not going to die and it's going to be ugly. And so 
Yeah, that, that is addressed too. But I mean, it's like I don't understand the whole concept of people being mad that, like, okay, there's there's a black elf, and there's a. I mean, even like a semi-black dwarf. Maybe she looks kind of mixed. I'm not sure. But again, why would that not be a thing in Middle Earth? Because like it's. Even if you go back through like the the theory of human evolution, we were all dark skinned once, then we moved away to various spots, and then we became light skinned. Whatever. I mean, I, I, I why would you think Middle Earth would just be like lily white? Like that's it's weird. But people are like pissed about it. And I'm like, it's a show about made up races of beings. Like, what are you even mad about? Like, that doesn't even make any sense to me. But what kind of the part that I wanted to pick up on that we didn't get a chance to talk about on the main pod was the production value on this show. Because obviously, like you've mentioned, this is the most expensive show that has ever been created by any platform, even even eclipsing Game of Thrones, eclipsing House of the Dragon, eclipsing everything. I mean, it's front to back between production and the buying of the rights to Rings of Power, which a, a slight side note here that we could possibly get into, they didn't even buy the entire rights of what they needed to buy to actually fully do this story because they didn't buy the Cimmerillion, which there's going to be certain parts that they're going to have to change and cut out because they literally cannot use source material from that. We're looking at about a billion dollars. And you can see it. It's gorgeous. The The video is gorgeous the sound is amazing like this is seriously cinema quality it's absolutely insane but something i was thinking about and why this is kind of such a dicey proposition and a reason why i think platforms have kind of stayed away from going this hard is because when you're talking about like making a movie especially at this kind of budget level you have a little more control over how the audience is going to see it. Like, obviously, you can suggest, like, okay, see this in IMAX or see this in RPX or see this in whatever. But even if, like, audiences are going to see it in a standard format, you have an idea of what to expect as far as, like, aspect ratios. You understand what kind of sound system they're going to be listening to it on. You can kind of get a better idea of what the, the end experience is going to be. But in a situation like this, where people are watching it in their homes, it's very, very contingent upon your home setup. Like, on mine, it looks and sounds fantastic. Noam's home setup is way, way, way better than mine. <laughs> so I imagine it's way better on his. I don't have a good sound system, but I do have a good TV. Uh, and yeah, it, it uh, they, they definitely... Like, they definitely left a lot. They left the money. The money's on screen, right? Yeah. It wasn't like they hired a bunch of uh, expensive actors and, like, cut some corners. And it's not just, oh, see, because I, uh, I think people prejudge. The, mar the marketing for this was garbage. Let's just talk. Let's talk about that for one second. Because you're talking about production quality. I think the, the production uh, of this show is being short shrifted by the marketing which it looks low rent 
uh, it, it's like it's uh, it looks unexciting. A lot of it just because it's cobbled together, quick shots and stuff. A lot of it kind of looks fake when people are like, "It's oh so CG and stuff." Because yeah. yeah, when you take every bit of like most the most uh, visually striking CG imagery and just like plaster them all in a row, and the thing is gonna look over the top and crazy and nuts. And then they had that lame thing with all of them waving, all the characters kind of waving. I don't know what the fuck that was about. There was way too many things that, and I and I keep saying this now more than ever. Like don't don't pay attention to the marketing. Between that and the fact that people for some reason think that like uh, all of these like controversies, bleh, BIPOC people, you know, what we we just talked uh, is good marketing. It's like a good way to kind of. Get attention for your thing. And so I I, I feel bad. I feel bad for p- creatives on shows who, like, uh, have their shows super prejudged because of, like, crappy marketing. Yeah, this is definitely, especially on the social media aspect, this is not how I would have ran the campaign myself. Like, these are not the videos I would have put out. This is not the marketing I would have put out. I would have tried to say do longer clips that could give you a better idea of how good the VFX are because they are. They are absolutely excellent. But because this is Lord of the Rings, there's a lot of it. I mean, there's obviously there's shots that you cannot reproduce in real life. Like it just it, it is CGI, but it is top notch cgi like i cannot emphasize to y'all how good uh, the the money's there the money was well spent and the one thing i need to check is whether or not uh their title sequence was made by elastic uh because i didn't like it oh 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 and that's another thing though like from episode one to episode two there's different intro sequences which well, I the thought first was one, very interesting. Well, the first one didn't have a proper intro sequence, like so to speak. Um, but then it had like a proper credit title sequence that was uh, what? Yeah, it was an elastic. I don't know if I, like I need to check. I, I'm looking in their website now, and it doesn't show yet, but it's brand new. Uh, elastic is a, uh, a special effects studio that does uh, uh, credit sequences for shows. And their style is very, very uh, uh, kind of known. You know, every Netflix show that has, like they did The Daredevil, they did uh, Arcane, any, any, or uh, Westworld, any intro that has some kind of like 3D model of something where it kind of spins around slowly with a thing or something's mm-hmm. dripping or something's burning, that's all fucking elastic. They do all of those. And so I saw like, grains of sand moving along and I was like oh shit I don't one of those <laughs> and I don't like I, I don't like them I thought the best credit sequence I've seen in years was for uh, Peacemaker the show Peacemaker because mm-hmm. it's just all of the characters doing a wacky dance number yeah and it's, it's like so, super old school it's so good it's so good it's just a wacky dance number uh, it's just so odd. You've never seen anything like it exactly just because of how wacky it is, but that's exactly what I want. And on the first episode of Rings of Power, like the, the intro that you get is very Game of Thrones in that it's doing the whole we're whooshing across the map and showing you where the things are, which I personally don't mind because like 
especially when you talk about stuff like this, I find it better to be able to like visually understand where things are. And that is a very big part of this show is like when they're crossing like the sundering sea, like they like the visual is like showing like not just like, oh, we're floating across water. It's like showing we're crossing the Sunderland Sea so that you understand like, okay, we're crossing the sea and we're going to Valinor and 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 I get and that is very much like a personal aesthetic preference. I know a lot of people don't like that. But I, I think especially when you're talking about like trying to appeal to a wider audience of people who may not necessarily be familiar with the source material, that is a very nice visual to give so people can kind of understand like, oh, okay, this is what we're doing now. There's a weird recency thing where people don't remember. Like I remember uh, Game of Thrones thinking like, what the, there's so much going on. And like the intro, it was so complicated that the intro every week needed to be like to explain to you like where everything was happening, right? That's how complicated it was where every week the intro would like outline the three or four places where the story was happening and like pinpointing them on the map in relation to each other, right? But that ended up being good. It worked for people. People got it, you know, and now with the internet, you know, there's always like the, the ability to like supplement your knowledge and go actually look at a map of, of that world. Um, and so, like I said, you got to give, you got to give the audience credit, you know, a little bit of credit and yeah, jumping around the map like that, I thought was fine again, because it's not only a fantasy land that not everybody knows, but it is also not the same as the map that Lord of the Rings fans know. As I said, we're the, and they're 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 slyly dancing around, saying, "And this then became Mordor." You're gonna see. I like. I, I think a lot of it's gonna be that. Oh, the uh, uh, Star Man. <clears throat> a lot of people think There's Gandalf. A, a lot of people. Yes. <laughs> a star anyway, um uh a lot of people think Gandalf. Now this is where you're gonna start to stretch my credulity a little thin. Because now you're starting to really mess up can- the canon and really change how thi- how people you know in the books and stuff how things came about because he really is not supposed to be in Middle Earth right now. Mm. Now they can't use the Silmarillion and so they had to change some shit. I get it, but uh, the f- the more the bigger the changes you make, I think the bigger the risk you create of, of, of kind of splitting your fan base instead of having them be able to kind of enjoy both things. I don't know. I'm ambivalent. Like I, I'm of two minds. And see, here's the thing in the show, all of the visual and plot cues that they're giving are pointing to this being Sauron because this starts out with like, okay, the elves have decided, all right, like Sauron is, gone through whatever mechanism he disappeared he's dead whatever and so they decided to stop looking for him they've called off the war basically and you also have the daughter of man whose name i can't remember her son 
finds part of Sauron's uh, staff, I guess, for lack of a better term. No, I, think it's a, I think it's a sword. I think it's a sword that reforms sword. with blood, you know, and the, it, it gets bloody kind of shadow, shadow manifests itself. It's not yeah, a Morgul it's... blade because this is still before Minas Morgul. Like, the, again, this is how mm-hmm. far in the past this is. Like, the evil shit that we know about that's ancient in Lord of the Rings hasn't even happened yet. Yeah, but it's clear that this is of Sauron. Like, when he, he pulls it out, he's looking at it. It's not, it doesn't show the eye. It no, the show sword, the eye, no. No, no, because there is no eye. No, no, I think the eye, I think he, the, I think the eye image it only comes later, only comes after he's yeah. defeated, I believe. He has kind of a little sigil, a little rune, kind of a little symbol. Mm-hmm. It looks a little like a kind of a pitchfork. It looks like something in the Predator language. Yeah, which is, hev- which is heavily referenced in Rings of Power. I mean, it's part of when Galadriel's brother is killed, the signal is carved into his flesh. Yes. When she's yes. going to look for him, she finds this temple and they like do like a little kind of dry ice sort of thing and that they find the signal like it's clear that Sauron has been there and so it's like and and this piece of whatever that this kid finds it's clearly of Sauron so it's kind of leading you to this this place of thinking like okay this is what is causing Sauron to come back to Middle Earth so there and here's another hint that it's something evil. The only thing I don't that doesn't track to me with it being Sauron is like why no why the memory loss or whatever. Well, yeah, see, that's the thing. I'm like I I don't know where he was at. I don't know what he's been through. I'm not sure. <laughs> like he just fell out of the sky. Yeah, I don't he was, know. He was tri- tripping on Ent Ayahuasca, <laughs> but uh, um. But but so and he, uh, one important thing, uh, something about the fact that like the fire around him was uh, didn't give off any heat, which mm-hmm. was a, a callback to the first episode where in the in that temple their torches didn't give off any heat because of evil, and so mm-hmm. he might be evil. Who knows that? Well, and so it, again, in a way, I'm happy that I don't n- know where this is going. Uh, but I also I proceed with a sense of trepidation. You know, um, uh, rings of power. On the other hand, I don't care. Like, I mean, I, 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 in a, in a very abstract sense, we all know how that story ends. And so I'm just like not looking up the, the greedy details and just kind of enjoying it. Like I said, I also like the, I like how it's telling its story. And yeah. if the rings of power also like tells its story well, then ultimately all that other stuff becomes kind of secondary, I guess. And this is something I find very interesting, especially about Rings and also House of the Dragon, is, like, they are prequels. We know how the story ends. And so there's a certain sort of a difficulty, I would imagine, when you're doing this writing and you're trying to build, like, suspense in certain, like, scenes where you already know what the character is going to decide. Like, obviously, they're showing the scene where Galadriel is supposed to go to Valinor after, you know, she comes back home and they decide, like, okay, we're done. And so, like, basically it's her reward slash punishment that you're supposed to go home. 
Yes. Obviously, like, and, and there, and there, and there's a scene, and they're on the boat, and they're all floating there, and it's a very much, it's, it's kind of set up like, oh my God, will she or won't she? But obviously, we know she doesn't. So, like, how do you build suspense in that particular scene? And how they did it was making it very visually and auditorily dramatic because obviously. We already know she doesn't. We know she chooses not to go and she jumps off the ship. That's a good so. point. And that's that you, you actually make a really good point that I hadn't considered, not just about this, but about uh, prequel writing in general. Uh, if you know what's going to happen, an interesting way to still keep you interested is to raise the stakes so much that you're thinking, wait, but I know she stays. How the fuck does yeah. she stay? That's a really good, that's, you just, I, you know, you actually, I like, I've never thought about that before. That, that really should be kind of a guiding principle because you are sitting there and you're like, I know she didn't leave to the thing, but like, they've been on the ship, the thing's opening up, they're almost there. Then, she, and, and, and so, and then, and, and also you start to think, well, if she still stays, it's going to be really difficult. This is going to be a huge obstacle for her to overcome. I wonder what happens. Yeah. And so then the fact that you know the ending doesn't really ruin your curiosity about, oh, shit, how we get from – because look at this situation season. How the fuck did you get from here to there? Yeah. Right? Because even stories – I don't know, fucking Fight Club. Like some there's some stories just start at the end, right? And they're just like come back all the way around because we knew. We very much well knew that the, that Fight Club would eventually end up with uh, Edward Norton with the gun in his mouth. Uh, you know, beat up in a like with his boxer shorts in a chair. Like we would, we knew it was going to get there. It was just a matter of what, what the how the hell it happened. Exactly, and that's kind of the thing. Like I said, we're prequels, and again with House of the Dragon, like we know what happens to House Targaryen. Like we know how this ends. So it's just basically finding out how we got there. I mean, obviously we know. King Ayers is killed by Jamie and everything goes to shit and then we got Robert's Rebellion and then they're replaced. But again, it's it's the the journey as to how you get from point A to point B. And so but you still have those scenes like Galadriel jumping off the ship where you gotta kind of build in some kind of suspense and some kind of drama, even knowing that your audience I, I'm assuming if you're watching Rings of Power, you've watched Lord of the Rings, and so therefore you know she doesn't go to Valinor because otherwise she wouldn't be part of the story. Yes, so. unless by some weird way she went there and then came back. But that's, again, that's where your curiosity starts to get peaked. You're like, oh, did she go and come back? Or maybe she did stay. But that's the way, all of a sudden, you don't know what's about to happen, even though you do know what's about to happen. But on a, like a macro level, not a micro level. That's a yeah. very brilliant point that I that I seriously had not considered, and like, yeah, I need to because 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 we're because uh, we're getting another big prequel thing is coming in the next couple of weeks, Andor <clears throat> on uh, mm-hmm. September the twenty first. It's having its three episode premiere, and it's a big prequel, but it uh, is um, it its whole point is just to flesh out things and to show you how things kind of came about. Um, and I do, I do think there is a value in that. I do think that the idea that showing how large this conflict was is not a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if uh, if it is, you know, if it is as sort of the political machinations look very interesting. I'm very happy that it's very long because they said 
paced like a TV show. A big problem a lot of these projects have had, specifically Star Wars, but not just some of the Marvel ones as well, is that projects that start their life as a movie and then are readapted into like a into like a limited series are still paced like a fucking movie. Because you otherwise you gotta write it from scratch, right? Like you write a three act story for a movie, and then they're like, "Oh, turn this into six episodes," and you're like, "Okay, so I need like six, whatever, you know? Yeah. I, I I need to like somehow create six mini arcs within this big arc, where in the sense it was just one arc of three acts, and so they yeah. create this like that- weird right." And so, but and or like, no, we're doing 18 episodes. It's a television show, right? And so I was like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm interested, I guess. You know, I didn't think I wanted the Mandalorian and now I like the Mandalorian. So I'm, I'm willing to, thus far, I think the most, the most I've enjoyed Star Wars was from things that I was like, I don't need, even need this in my life. So I guess my expectations were so low. They were surpassed. I don't know. Yeah, and plus The Mandalorian was kind of a semi-unique property in which it was playing off The Mandalorian, but it wasn't taking characters that you already knew. I mean, it was taking characters that you already knew from the Star Wars universe, but it wasn't the main characters. Like, it wasn't Boba Fett and Yoda going and doing a thing. It was Din Djarin and Grogu, and then you learn about them, but... One of our biggest criticisms, like you were saying about the whole pacing thing about Obi-Wan, is that it would have worked better as a movie. It would have been better as like a two and a half hour movie instead of six episodes because that's it. it, I mean, I don't hate it. I mean, I'm fine with it existing. I don't know if it needed to exist, but it does. So there you go. I kind of hate I kind of hate it. I kind of I hate it. And I also feel like if it were a movie, I do think as people say, oh, the wokeness and the – I do think that um, a, a movie that was more focused and didn't – because I don't care, Reva. I don't care if you want to introduce a character who's a woman or a black or a black woman. I Like I really – I sincerely do not give a shit. Like give me good stuff. I'm here for that. Right. I loved Ray when Ray's character was introduced. I loved Finn when Finn's character was introduced before they went on to like destroy both those characters. And so like, don't, (laughs) that's not, I have a very open mind with this stuff. I just don't think that this story needed a different character. This was, we needed a story. The whole point of this was to flesh out. And because if you haven't watched the Clone Wars, you don't really feel the relationship between Obi-Wan and Anakin. You don't feel it. Right in the in 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 a Revenge of the Sith or whatever, and here's a good opportunity to maybe show you some flashbacks, maybe have some scenes where like you develop, and they had a teeny teeny teensy tiny bit of that, but then the most of it was not that. And I do think that when TV is concerned, they start to get into the idea of like, oh, we should introduce some new characters, and then we could like spin them off into other things. Like TV has different uh, uh, corporate uh, priorities as well, not just pacing and not just all that stuff, because everything is now a universe. And TV Mm -hmm. shows branching off into other TV shows is clearly something that these studios have a much easier time getting off the ground than a a movie that's going to run in theaters because they're like, we'll just put it on Disney plus. Right. Which is so funny to think about how Disney is handling star Wars versus how like Marvel is handling the MCU as far as like 
and and obviously we've had this discussion with WandaVision where you can't really watch Multiverse of Madness without watching WandaVision because you have no clue what's going on. I I personally feel like She-Hulk, say whatever you will about the show, it's a vehicle to set up whatever's coming next in the MCU. That certainly feels it certainly feels that way. You're right. You're like again, we can we can talk about the value of twerking with Megan the Stallion <laughs> in an MCU show. I personally like the to me the biggest quote unquote defense of all that cringe shit is like read some comic books, which are which vary wildly in tone and quality and will have occasional cringe things in the midst of other things that are interesting. And so it's not a defense of it. I'm still saying it's cringe. It's a defense of like ah eh, whatever. Like I saw it and I was just like bleh. But it was like the end of the episode. That's what I mean. Like it's not that I. It's not that I'm 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 like yes queening that shit. I don't like it, but I'm also like not. I don't know. I've been kind of. Enjoy, I I think the show's kind of interesting thus far. But like Jen said, in what it's setting up, not particularly all the aspects about like single female lawyer. It's a Futurama joke. The show single female lawyer. Yeah. Which this is sort of. <laughs> this is essentially a single female green lawyer. <laughs> um, do you want to bring JD on? Sure. We can bring JD on. I'm saying again, once again, I'm, I always give people like ten seconds to like prep as I <laughs> as I roll them in. So uh, we're gonna bring JD up. Uh, hey JD, how's it going? Hey guys, what's up? Oh, great! Hey. Awesome. That was smooth. <laughs> well, I mean, I have had some practice, so he's getting know. good at this. <laughs> Yay! So, okay, I'm loving this episode. Um, I really liked, I really liked ambitious call um, crossover attempt this week. But I did, like I've mentioned before, I don't watch Game of Thrones, so I was waiting for you to get into Rings of Power because I really like Lord of the Rings. I don't know if you guys have seen my tweets, but I'm reading the books for the first time right now. I'm listening to them on my daily commute to work. I just Ooh. finished The Two Towers. So I'm really liking rewatching Lord of the Rings and Rings of Power because I finally understand everything that's going on because of the <laughs> books. Yes. But in terms of like the whole like Marvel, Star Wars stuff, yes, I did watch Obi-Wan. I had some issues with it, particularly when they do... Spoilers for anyone <laughs> who hasn't seen it yet. But at the end when they do the fight scene and Obi-Wan could have killed Darth Vader and he doesn't, it's like, okay, so you're not going to kill him. And so everyone that Vader kills over the next, like, eight years, their blood is on your hands. You know, the billions of people he probably killed in between then. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. Prequels are prequels are hard, man. Yeah. Prequels are and difficult, and and not only that, you need to think about because because people are enamored with watching things in chronological order. But I think a good prequel, if it's a prequel, the word prequel means it's something that you made later becomes earlier in the story, right? Otherwise, it's not a prequel. It's just the first book or the first movie, right? And so by definition, it exists with prior knowledge of future events and needs to be written like that. 
uh, uh, and and uh, the thing you described right now is uh, antithetical to me to that, like a, to a well-executed prequel, is because now you got that in your fucking head. Every time you watch the thing, you're like, "This is all Obi Wan's fault." I don't like him anymore. <laughs> but also, that scene is another good example of what I was talking about. Like when you're when you're watching Obi Wan and you're watching that scene, you already know that neither Obi Wan nor Vader dies. So, like, you can watch the scene and it's a fine fight, but you already know how it ends. That's why a big fight scene was shouldn't have necessarily been the point. Like, a fight can be fun. Right, to stage a big fight and it's dramatic and, and, and you're you're telling a story through the fight. Even their big over the top fight in uh, Revenge of the Sith has a storytelling element to it. The ebb and flow of the fight, who's in control and whatever, and the things they yell at each other during the fight. Forget for for instance, like the quality of it, right? I'm, I'm just saying it, it it does exist there. And a good fight, uh, think about the opening fight in Shang Chi. Between when between his parents, Wen Wu and uh, uh, I can't remember her name, but that's a fight that tells a whole story. It's a metaphor. It's a fight that that uh, that that is supposed to be not literal, but it's the story of how they fell in love. Like they met, yeah. they fought, she beat him, but and then they kept whatever. Got in his pants. <laughs> right? Yes, but in because there is a there is an aspect, and this is something you need to 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 take a lot of in Rings of Power. I think the use of image as metaphor and not image as literal. For example, great example when Kella Brimbor and uh, and and uh, uh, Elrond. They go to Casa Doom to meet the dwarves. You see them like walk around the cliff, right up to the door, just on foot. The two of them, mm-hmm. and Casa Doom is like miles and miles away from from uh, wherever they were. Uh, what's it called? Uh, Linden. Linden. I'm bad. JD said Utah. <laughs> yeah, no. JD made a whole point about Utah having a city called Linden. I read your tweets. I read your tweets. Um, <laughs> In my yeah, <laughs> you better read my tweets. <laughs> now, in my mind, it's not that the two of them just walked, right? I imagine that they went. You know, they had like a coterie of like twenty people. They rode on horses. They got there, but it's like there isn't a big road that leads up to the door. You saw it's kind of like deliberate, probably to prevent like invasion. It's just like a little door in the mountain. So they have to like dismount. They left there. Cause like he says to Calabrimbor, yeah, go back to Linden. I'll take care of it. Well, you think he walked back by himself <laughs> all the way to like, Linden? All right, walk no, back to Linden. <laughs> but it's like, you don't have to see everything, right? I always said this about the opening montage in uh, the fellowship of the ring where she says, you know, but the power of the ring could not be overcome. And uh, comes Sauron and he's giant and he's like beating people away and stuff. The fact that he was big and beating people away isn't the thing that won the war. It was a metaphor for the fact that the ring was so powerful that it couldn't be beaten, right? And visually in that moment, they were illustrating it as him being gigantic and beating tons of people back with the sword, right? That wasn't the thing that won the war. The fact that the ring was evil was the thing that won them the war. And so, like, you got to give them a little bit of, like, a creative freedom to not be literal all the time. Yeah, we kind of made that point when we were talking about Game of Thrones and House of the Dragon. 
in where when they're showing fight scenes, like, okay, you, you know it's supposed to be, like, an epic fight scene, but they're not showing everybody because, like, you only care about, like, two people, maybe three people here that are in the fight. And so they, they focus on showing, like, okay, so the big fight between, like, the White Walkers and everybody on the wall. Like, you're basically just seeing Jon Snow because that's the character you care about. And so, again, you do have to kind of focus on the characters that people care about. And it's not like uh, you can pull back and show, like, the epicness of a scene, but you're not just, like, going to completely film that completely, like, all the way pulled back. And it's just, like, a bunch of people fighting a bunch of people and you can't see anything. Right. Now, a really good example of this, for example, is is the Battle of Helm's Deep in uh, The Two Towers, which in the book... Doesn't play out the way it does. Spoiler alert, JD. Shut your ears. I'm going to spoil <laughs> what happens in that book as opposed to the movie. But uh, a big triumphant moment in the movie is when the elves show up to save the day at, at Helm's Deep. Doesn't happen in the book. What happens in the book is the elves decide to stay in Middle-earth and fight. But they do it in a different place. Because there's battles happening all over the place. It's a fucking big war. Right. But you can't in the book, you could like jump around and you can talk about four battles at the same time very easily without confusing the reader and having visual confusion and having to stage four big battles. And so they were like, the point of this is the elves decided to stay and fight. That's the point of this whole part of the story. And so we can condense it. And show it visually by the elves showing up to help the battle that we're at. And so, yeah, technically, that's not the way the story works. But by the end of it, the result is the same. The elves are now allies of humans. That's the point. <laughs> right. And and this is the point that I've tried to make before, especially when we're talking about 3,000 years of longing. When you're trying to interpret something that was originally written in text and things that work when you're, like, reading a story versus things that work visually. Like, if you tried to do those, all those battle scenes visually in the movie, it would be, like, massively confusing because you'd be jumping between battle and battle and battle, and people would be like, where are we? What are we doing? What are, where, where am I? What's, what's going on? It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't serve, it doesn't serve this uh, format of storytelling. Yes, J.D.? Well, and... So that wasn't a spoiler. I actually read that because I have finished The Two Towers. So, (laughs) But what I'm noticing in the books, Tolkien does not really care to describe the battles. So in The Hobbit, when the Battle of the Five Armies is going on, it says that Bilbo gets knocked out at the very start of the battle, and then he wakes up, and they're like, (laughs) yeah, the battle's over. There is nothing from the battle in the book. And then Helm's Deep is massively different in the book. Spoilers, but um, it's only like a couple thousand men from Rohan that are at Helm's Deep. They don't bring the women and the children or anything. Eowyn gets left in charge of the city, and then um, the men go to fight the orcs because the orcs are coming through Helm's Deep. They're marching from the west. And so they go to stop them, and then the battle proceeds differently. There's not, like, elves, you know, showing up and stuff. And so in terms of that liberty, though, to, like, visually portray it in the TV show and the show, like, in the movies, they do a really good job because if you cut out all the battles, kind of like what Tolkien is showing in the books, 
what he's writing about, it would be extremely boring. So Peter Jackson did a great job of adapting those for the movies and make because the battles are the best parts, like Helm's Deep and you know when they go to Mordor at the end, the battle at the Black Gate, all of that. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, and also I think the movies do a better job than the books because finishing the two towers, fifty-seven percent of the book is just talking about Aragorn and the rest of the fellowship. And then you finally get to Sam and Frodo, and it is just Sam, Frodo, and Gollum for about nine hours. Yeah. It was so boring, I wanted Because it to... was two, yeah, because it's yeah. two, because, you know, it was originally six. Yeah. It's in six volumes. And so, essentially, you get your, like, fe- into two towers is div- divided into your, like, your fellowship book and your, like, Frodo and Sam book. Yeah, and so kind of what Joe's talking about concurrent battles, like, yeah, they're technically having, like, concurrent timelines going on in the books, but it's split where you have, like, the entire Fellowship in one half and then Sam and Frodo in the other half. The movie does a better job of, okay, all of these things are happening at the same time, so we're going to bounce back and forth between Sam and Frodo and the Fellowship. Yeah. Again, and so... And then I just double-checked because we'd been talking about how you guys mentioned how um, Amazon didn't buy the rights to the Silmarillion, so they're using uh, the different appendices in the books. Um, I just double-checked in the books. It seems like Return of the King is the only book that has um, an appendix in it, but the appendix is about 150 pages long. Yeah. My brother re-listened to the books about um, a year ago, and he had never read the appendices before. And so the appendix, the, the whole appendix for uh, Return of the King is about eight hours long. And it goes into, like, this is what Aragorn's doing when he's the king. And then it talks about them hunting down Saruman because he doesn't die at the end of the Two Towers. Or I guess start of uh, Return of the King in the movies. He goes and he is able to escape from the tower he escapes from Isengard, and then he eventually, like, takes over the Shire. The Shire. Mm-hmm. The scouring mm-hmm. of the Shire, which is something that's famously not in the movies. Because, like, uh-huh. how many endings could that movie have? Yeah. It already mm-hmm. had, like, eight endings, you know? Um, and uh, and I, a thing, another thing I want to say is that uh, this might be a personal preference of mine, but I do enjoy having aspects of these worlds be kind of unknowable. I, you know, I'm playing Elden Ring now. And uh, the world that you explore in Elden Ring is in the aftermath of this, like, war between demigods. And the wreckage of this war is incomprehensible. First of all, the structures are all megalithic to, like, levels that you can't even imagine. Gigantic. And you're like, what kind of beings could build these things? But then they're also wrecked like they're made out of Lego. And so you're like, forget who built this. Who could have destroyed this? And in this fashion, you know, you come across this, like, giant castle, and it's kind of melted in this weird way. You're like, what the fuck did that? And I love that. I love thinking about thousands of Balrogs fighting against millions of elves and not really being able to kind of visualize it because it is this kind of mythical, the book of revelation, you know, kind of type of thing, you know, where it's like, you can't really, it's almost like your brain would melt if you saw it actually happen. Well, and something that I'm really enjoying about the rings of power thus far is it's kind of like 
I felt this way with the original, like the first two Fantastic Beast movies for Harry Potter. It doesn't seem like it has source material to ruin. Does that make sense? <laughs> yes, I guess you're right. I mean, it. I mean, it kind of does, but but also not exactly because it can wreck like back, you know, like established canonical backstories and whatnot. But, but, but I, same, I, I get what you mean. Yeah, because if they're taking the source material from the appendices, very few people have read those, and so they're not really going to know what's going on. They just know, oh, this is you know the prequel to Lord of the Rings, and so they're just going to enjoy it. So, like, Fantastic Beasts, the first two movies that Johnny Depp was in, you know, before Amber Heard decided to ruin his life, whatever. I really enjoyed the first two movies because there was no source material for the movies to ruin. Whereas the Harry Potter movies, like, yeah, they were, you know, decently enjoyable, but I loved the books so much and they just kind of destroyed the books. And so with this, it's like, okay, we know the story of Lord of the Rings. We kind of know about Galadriel, but now we're going to get her backstory. We're going to learn about, you know, the rise of Sauron and it will get to, because I was telling Jen on Twitter, Amazon bought the rights and they're, they have like five seasons planned yeah, out for 50 this. 50 hours or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's going to be between like 40 and 50 episodes. And so for people that complain that Lord of the Rings, like the extended edition movies, are too long, and if you do, you are not a true fan. Yeah. Whoever complains about that, we're going to get a ton of material from this. It'll be funny if, like, they can't maintain, like, the budgetary level. And so by the end of, like, season five, it's like they're filming entire episodes in, like, the fall of you. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the real worry right there. Is it's like, you hey, Ryan, remember that, remember that time Elrond and Galadriel got trapped in a cellar? <laughs> You know, it's like it's just an entire episode of them trapped in a cellar. It's a flashbacks episode. <laughs> they gotta well, like cut costs. <laughs> well, well, in Neon, you've brought this up. I feel like most of the criticism, um, most of the criticism of the show thus far, it hasn't been. Oh, this is strained from the source material. I don't like it. It's people focusing on. Oh, there's people of color. Blah blah blah. They're going woke. What's going on to Amazon? They're not critiquing like the actual show they're just like i don't like the casting yeah kind a couple, of like, a, there are a couple of there are a couple of like a canon related things but you're right it's not it's definitely not as common we you you did dm me we need to talk about brandon sanderson and what you need to listen to next after you're done with the lord of the rings well i've already been told that i need to start with mistborn am, am i correct in thinking that yes uh, also, it, this it might be the next big fantasy show. So uh, yeah, definitely. But well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and we, we need to do a whole. Yeah, we need to do a yeah, whole. Uh, yeah. Whole well, and something that Joe brought up in the comments is if you think about it, all these people that are happy mm -hmm. that you know people of color are getting put into Lord of the Rings, yada yada yada. Since this is a prequel and there's no people of color in the original movies. Then there was some genocide or ethnic cleansing, probably, that took place in between the Second and Third Ages. Yeah. And so all of these beloved people of color got wiped out by someone. I guess so. <laughs> That's kind of uh, hard. But are there comments? Am I just not seeing messages in chat? There's comments. Really? Hey, I don't see any. You're not... I, see, I see zero comments. Usually, this is the other way around. Normally, you can see the comments and I can't. And you can't? Okay, so it's always one of us and the other doesn't. Okay, that's good to know. Anyway, I think uh, we're, we're right about done. Uh, so we're going to thank uh, JD for joining us. Thank you, as yes. always.
for thank the you. next conversation. And uh, thank you very much for joining us uh, on All Crossed Out. Always a pleasure. Uh, stay tuned, you know, for another normal week after which we're going to have things that you're going to learn about when we, uh, when we say them. Uh, but that's about it. So, Jen, take it away. Okay, so our regular podcast, Official Crossword Pens, usually on Mondays, occasionally on Tuesdays, but usually on Mondays. You can find it on Apple, Google Play, Spotify, Amazon slash Audible, all your podcast catchers. Obviously, here on Wednesday nights, you know where to find us, all across now, 8.30 Eastern on Call-In. You can catch us live, or you can listen to it after the fact. You can find us on Twitter at AMBXOver. You can find me on Twitter at that Jen Monroe and on Substack at jenmonroe.substack.com. Awesome. I'm Neon Taster on Twitter. And also go to youtube.com slash C slash Neon Taster where my Haiku the Robot streams are being uploaded and twitch.tv slash Neon Taster where I've been streaming some more Elden Ring recently. Huzzah! Uh, and uh, yeah, that's about it. Uh, announcements and things forthcoming. Have a good night. Thank you, everybody. Thanks, Jen. Night, y'all. Thanks, Noah. Good night. I need to do a little exiting <laughs> monologue. <laughs> Thank you.